I have the distinct joy of welcoming and introducing a friend to Oak Church, um, and uh, our guest preacher, Wilco, is uh, an amazing kind of sign and testament to the Christian community in Durham, um, and all the varied connections that you have if you're around here for any length of time to a number of different people, and and um, uh, just the strength of the capital C church in Durham. Um, I got to know, um, I, I knew Wilco through a number of different connections and relationships, whether it's GCF, I'm not sure what the first thing was, but I really got to know Wilco in the dark in Forest Hills at a early morning workout um, in, in which we're running around and panting and trying to talk theology and Bible while we were getting beat up by the guy that was doing this workout. And everyone at this workout, this is very mysterious. Uh, there's no like tattoos or anything uh, involved, but there are, there are secret names, right? Well, not secret names, but special names that you are given. You don't get to pick your name. And of course, Wilco going into this group of mostly dads um, received the nickname Theologian. Uh, it just fit too well, could not be passed up. That, that, that he would uh, be forever linked to the indie rock uh, band with a song called Theologians, about how theologians don't know nothing about my soul. But I promise you, this theologian does, this morning, know something about your soul. Uh, we're happy to have Wilco continuing our series. Um, we have this ongoing and sporadic series called Y'all Saints, crafting and, and growing our imagination for the the body of Christ, the, the holy ones in Christ throughout time and place. Um, and, and normally uh, the bulk of those sermons happen in the fall, and we actually had Wilco slated to join us then, but he was in the Netherlands, his homeland, and the place that you're moving back in like a week and a half. Um, and he sent me a message and said, I'm stuck in Netherlands. They will not let me back into the United States. I will not preach <laughs> this week. <laughs> And so we're so thrilled to get him. After he graduated from Duke with a theological doctorate um, on Augustine, and he's getting to speak to us about um, Augustine of Hippo, this amazing North African saint um, who is probably most best known for articulating how vast and important, and we've sung all these songs, is the love of God that is operating um, in us and among us. And so uh, I'm thrilled to first welcome Stephanie Homer to read our scripture passage from 1 Corinthians 13, and then we'll welcome Wilk up. Uh, so you can you can clap now. I think that would be it. That is the most respectful nickname I've heard in that group. Here's our scripture. If I speak in the tongues of human beings and of angels, but don't have love, I am a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all the mysteries and everything else, and if I have such complete faith that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give away everything that I have and hand over my own body to feel good about it, what I've done, but to feel good about what I've done, but I don't have love, I receive no benefit whatsoever. Love is patient. Love is kind. It isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It isn't irritable. 
It doesn't keep a record of complaints. It isn't happy with injustice, but it is happy with the truth. Love puts up with all things, trusts in all things, hopes for all things, endures all things. Love never fails. As for prophecies, they will be brought to an end. As for tongues, they will stop. As for knowledge, it will be brought to an end. We know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, what is partial will be brought to an end. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, reason like a child, think like a child. But now that I've become a man, I've put an end to childish things. Now we see a reflection in a mirror and we will, then we will see face to face. Now I know partially, but then I will know completely in the same way that I have been completely known. Now faith, hope, and love remain these three things, and the greatest of these is love. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Chris, for this wonderful introduction. It's good to see many faces of people I know, also indeed of uh, the early morning workouts. Um, so yes, uh, I will be talking with you about Augustine today. Um, he is uh, the theologian I did my dissertation on, so I'll try to repent and not be too academic. But if I fail, like, just raise your hand, and uh, I'll try to improvise. No, so what I would like to do this morning uh, with you is, like, three things. So, like, first I would like to talk a little bit, like, who was Augustine, so his biography. The second thing is, like, um, two salient points in his theology, which are all related surrounding love, and then how that helps you read scripture. Because at the end of the day, we're not preaching Augustine, we're preaching the word of the Lord. So how does this saint give us a window into the word so that we can grow in knowing and loving the Lord and our neighbor better? That's what we're up for today. And um, may the Lord bless uh, what I try to say through his servant Augustine. So Augustine, born in 354 in Tagaste, that is a small town in a Roman province in what is now northern Algeria. He, uh, his father was a pagan, Patricius, and his mother was a Christian. And in that tension, Augustine would live the rest of his life. In the sense, he will become a Christian. But in the same time, he's also engaging with pagan thought. And like, how, what is the goodness that is in pagan philosophy and whatsoever, and how can it be used for the gospel. Um, so he was from a lower middle class family. So, but a family that was really what we would now say, thrive, that was striving to be mobily upward. So everything they did was to help Augustine get a good education. A bit of like that someone here in Durham from a low-class family would say like, hey, I want my kid to go to Harvard or something. So you have to sacrifice everything financially whatsoever to reach that goal. And of course, also back then, uh, you needed some form of scholarships, uh, which came in the form of patronage. Uh, so like someone, a rich person in the town would say, hey, I think Augustine has potential. I'll give him some money, or better said, his parents, and let's send him off to a school. So young Augustine, around 11, 12, already goes to another town to study. And um, there he uh, learns a lot, but he also mischiefs and misbehaves a lot. And um, when he is 16, you have this famous story of like him stealing pears. Like 
He said, I didn't like them. I didn't want them. I just wanted to transgress the commandment. It's like a kind of Genesis scene, you know, like you see Adam and Eve in the garden, but now Augustine with his friends, peer pressure. Oh, let's steal these spears, but we don't actually need them. Let's get rid of them. It's just the fun of transgressing the commandment. Like, it's like, here I am I, I'm asserting my own, you know, will upon the world. Sounds like nothing has changed. Um, so in Carthage, then he is sent off to Carthage around age 17. And in Carthage, he discovers two things, sex and wisdom. And um, the first is like after a certain uh, tumultuous love affairs, like he starts cohabiting with an unnamed woman and he gets a son with her. Uh, but he also studies in rhetoric because he's a very good rhetorician, like the scholarships were well spent. And I'll tell you more about that in a couple of minutes. So when he is reading Cicero, Cicero was back then like a kind of the hallmark of rhetoric and style and whatsoever. But when he's reading Cicero's Hortensius, like he's struck by the philosophy, by the content of it. And he says like, a new fire, a new zeal was born in me. Like I wanted to be wise. And, um, but then he starts to read scripture and he's like, uh, although he's raised a Christian, he found the style of the scriptures like a bit of the common people. Like it, it failed compared to Cicero. So uh, Christianity is not an option. He decided to join a, a sort of Christian sect called the Manichaeans. He joins them for nine years and converts many friends and other people to Manichaeism. And Augustine is a good rhetorician. So again, he moves up the ladder this time and he ends up in Milan. He even gets, a, he becomes the professor at the imperial court. So like one of the highest things you could get, like and a professor in rhetoric, mind you. Um, but still he is looking for wisdom. He cannot find it. And where is it? Like Manichaeism doesn't offer what it seems to offer, a secure and loving relationship with God. And at the same time, he has his mom. Mom was a Christian, but also very much concerned about Kid Augustine, like that he would be socially upward. So his, con uh, his concubine was, of course, not a good prospect. Like she was from a lower class, so he needed to uh, divorce her, get rid of her in order to get a better marriage prospect. But then, what happens then? Well, he takes another wife because he needs to wait two years. So again, we have, we have Augustine struggling with sex and desiring for wisdom. But meanwhile, he's searching for truth and like more earnestly and more earnestly, and he cannot get rid of his old habits. Old habits die hard, also for Augustine. And then you have in the Confessions this moving account in book eight, like where um, he's completely at a loss. Like he says, I want to be converted, but I cannot do it. I cannot, and I will not. Yes, I want to. And like he's, and like that is what also makes him later the doctor of grace. Maybe you've heard about him in that regard. Like in a way, like for example, the Reformation was very much also a debate about Augustine's writings about grace. And like it's very much in his own life. He experienced, I cannot convert myself. I need grace. And what happens? He, needs, he hears a child singing, just as we heard the child singing this morning. This time he heard tolle lege, like take and read. And he sees that as a kind of divine imperative. He opens his scripture and the word opens up at Romans 13, which I'm going to read for you. 
sorry. And Romans 13, verse 13 and 14, and where it says, Let's behave appropriately as people who live in the day, not in partying and getting drunk, not in sleeping around and obscene behavior, not in fighting and obsession. Instead, dress yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and don't plan to indulge your selfish desires. And as he says in the confessions, then it was as if the chains fell off, like he stepped into freedom and became a Christian. Um, he decided like not to marry, but uh, rather to dedicate his life to God. So what happened, like he ended up in a monastic community. So he went back to Africa, like to Algeria, modern Algeria, uh, to start a kind of monastic community of friends. Um, friends and other people who were interested in wisdom so that they together could be philosophers, lovers of wisdom. But there was a shortage of bishops and priests in, um, in uh, modern Algeria, of, I mean, uh, that Roman province that is now modern Algeria. So what do you do if you have a shortage of priests? Well, you basically kidnap a person. So like that's what happened to Augustine. Like he was in Hippo, and the people saw him, and Augustine thought, well, this might be a safe town. They already have a priest. But no, it was not safe for him. Like, they grabbed him, they put him up in the pew, and they said, like, okay, you need to become our priest. And that's what happened. He became uh, their priest. And Augustine gets into, like, this intense, like, reading of scripture. But, like, there was also, like, among the people, like, okay, who is this new priest? Ah, uh, promiscuous behavior, um, he was a Manichaean, like, which was one of the rival sects with Christianity. So he starts to write his confessions. This is probably one of the, the number one Christian classic in Western uh, literature. And um, so what is confession? So like first, a couple of two words, and now we're going to the second point, like what can we learn from Augustine? I step aside from his biography now for a moment. Um, so confession is not like as we now associated with like only confession of sin. Like it's, it's first and foremost praise. So like to confess is to praise God. And then secondly is to confess sin. And um, it's not a biography in the modern sense of the word. So like let me read the first opening and the end. Like and, and, and when you hear it, like notice, like try to notice what is distinctive about it. So I open up with uh, the opening, and then I'll read something about the end. Great are you, Lord, and exceedingly worthy of praise. Your power is immense, and your wisdom beyond reckoning. And so we humans, who are due part of your creation, long to praise you. We, who carry our mortality about with us, carry the evidence of our sin, and with it the proof that you thwart the proud. Yet these humans, due part of your creation, still long to praise you. You steer us so that praising you may bring us joy because you have made us and drawn us to yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Now we go to the end. Give us peace, Lord God, for you have given us all else. Give us the peace that is repose, the peace of the Sabbath and the peace that knows no evening. Have you heard, did the word Augustine occur in these passages? Not at all. That's interesting. So, like, we have a biography, but not a word about Augustine by the beginning and the end. So, what is it, like, that Augustine is doing? He is embedding his narrative within 
the narrative of God. Like it starts and ends with God. And so, for example, it's like scholars have wondered for a long time, like book one to nine is like Augustine's past. Book 10 is Augustine's present and books 11 to 13 is an interpretation of Genesis one. Like, okay, wow, what's happening here? So Augustine, and this is what I try to argue in uh, the dissertation, and together with other people, because you, you're never unique, you know, like you never bring this up yourself. That's just the way it is. Uh, but anyway, uh, in case you were entertaining doctoral work, like, <laughs> don't want to burst your myths, but like, uh, anyway, so here is the point. Like, what is Augustine doing at that very end? Like, he's basically receding from the scene, because like if he's walking away and like, want to have all the light on God, like, and that you and I can find our way into this narrative and also articulate our own confessions to the Lord so that we also say, like with Augustine, great are you, Lord, and exceedingly worthy of praise. Like, that is the dynamic of this book. And here is then the first point that I wanna, um, want us to think about, like, and I hope that you take it with you. Like, how do you profile yourself? Like how, what is your story? How do you profile yourself on social media? Is that only your narrative or is there more? I know like some conventions are different. Like it's hard to uh, do a confessions probably on social media and an Instagram post or whatever, but just to think about it. Like who is the author of your story? Who is the Lord of your life? Is your, do you try to let your life also be a sign referring to the Lord as Augustine tried to do with his? And that's why I also call this sermon title like Confessions of Love. It's a confession so that we also start to confess and love. Um, so the, sec the second lesson that I want to um, give you through Augustine is like the centrality of love. Probably like no other the theologian, Augustine has like really utilized, um, solidified, so to say, like that... Um, what it says in Matthew 22, but also in other passages, like, what is the great commandment? To love God and love your neighbor. We have sung about it, you know, with the Porter Gate song. Like, and um, so he says, like, every interpretation of scripture needs to be related back to love. And, that's, that's, and that gets, like, very inter interesting interpretations. Like, for example, in his um, interpretation of, like, Genesis, he says, well, this is an incredibly rich text. So like there are multiple interpretations that are according to the truth because no person can completely fathom how the Lord creates. So like we should not uh, like try to divide and say like this is the only single interpretation that's possible, but rather like um, gain as many truthful interpretations as possible because like between us and the Lord, there's a journey. Like we do not know yet as the Lord knows us, like as we have read in 1 Corinthians uh, then we shall know as we are known. But today, we don't. We don't have that knowledge. Like, there's growth. And, like, in the sense of dialogue and mutual love, we can grow. Um, but, like, that love is not the same. Like, when you say, like, the scripture is about love, that does not mean, like, okay, everything goes. Like, because as we have already read in First Corinthians, love is kind. So then unkindness is ruled out. Love does not envy. So envy is ruled out. There's a separation. There's a demarcation. Love is also sharp. And um, so what I would like to do now at this point is like help us um, 
focus on the text of 1 Corinthians, which we have read, and then see like, okay, how does Augustine help us uh, read this text? So let us turn for a moment to 1 Corinthians uh, 10. So that's a little before our scripture passage. And I need to say one more thing in order uh, to bring the full import of Augustine's uh, theology. So for Augustine, he says like, the, Augustine says like the Lord is the common good. Now, what does he mean by that? I'll give you an example. If you and I have Cheerios, I'm trying to make an example that my kids would also understand, like both of us could probably eat it. But if we are eating with 20 of us, like we probably would not have enough. So like with material things, with creaturely things, there's always scarcity. That's why we have wars. That's why we have like economic competition and whatsoever. There's scarcity. We want the minerals and whatsoever that China is producing in order, blah, blah, blah. And like Russia wants to have those parts of Ukraine because they belong to them, according to their theory. So like with every, every creaturely thing lives under the condition of scarcity. But there's one exception, the uncreated, the Lord. The Lord is the common good because like in me having the Lord does not mean that your having the Lord is being reduced. In fact, Augustine says, in sharing, you gain. Because in sharing, you understand more like what is at stake, what it means to love the Lord. And that's also, um, I think, like why Augustine really helps us to understand vital parts of, Christian, of uh, the scripture. And especially like this letter called First Corinthians. Like as you probably know, like, there was a lot of division within the community of the Corinthians. Like, I'm of Paul. I'm of Peter. Hey, scarcity. I'm this. I'm that. And like, what does Paul try to do? He constantly tries to direct the community back to Christ. Because Christ is the common good. So like, let's go for one moment then to uh, 1 Corinthians 10. So what happened, like, uh, there are Corinthians who say, like, hey, you can eat idol food uh, in a temple. Others said, you cannot do it. And then Paul gives um, this example how he gives up his rights in 1 Corinthians 9. And then he concludes the passage in uh, 1 Corinthians 10. Everything is permitted, but everything isn't beneficial. Everything is permitted, but everything doesn't build others up. No one should look out for their own advantage, but they should look out for each other. Here you see, like, the common good. We should seek out for each other. And, like, that's also, like, what uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, like, uh, love doesn't seek its own advantage. It's concerned about the common good. It's about the Lord. It's about the neighbor. Like, okay, refrain from your rights and lay them down in order to love your neighbor well. Uh, like, and again, like, as we see, like, that uh, Paul says in 11, 1, follow my example, just like I follow Christ. And when we then read 1 Corinthians 13, like, we get a picture of Christ. Christ is kind. Christ isn't envy. Like, think about it for the moment. The Lord of the universe coming down, taking on our flesh, and then to die because to give us life to give us the common good, to give us the community. And um, final thing that I would like to say about like uh, 1 Corinthians 13, like there's this living under the promise of seeing face to face. What is that like? Um, like, let me read it. 
As for knowledge, it will brought to an end. We know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, what is partial will be brought to an end. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, reason like a child, think like a child. But now that I've become a man, I put an end to childish things. Now we see a reflection in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know partially. But then I will know completely in the same way that I've been completely known. I don't know about you, but like one thing I know about myself is like that I always long for that to be known. Like there's this vulnerability. Who am I? What is my word? What is my identity? And like what Paul is pointing us to and what Augustine tried to do in his own time and what the church is trying or should do in this time is like pointing us like to that love, to that knowledge that burns away sin, but also shows us who we really are. Imago Dei, image bearers of God, called to love the Lord and their neighbor. Oak Church, do you know this love? If you say like, I just don't know that love yet, reach out to others because they love you. They wanna help you. And if you do know that love, there's more. Soon we'll go to the table, the common good, because there's always more to grow in knowing and loving the Lord and knowing and loving our neighbor. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, your love is extravagant. You did not need us, but you created us. You did not have to redeem us, but you redeemed us. You became flesh to lift us up to immortality. And for that love, we praise you. We confess. We glorify your name. And at the same time, we therefore also confess our sins because we have fallen short of your glory. Help us to grow in love as a community, to help us know and love you better, to help us know and love our neighbor better. So that through this community and through the church in Durham and worldwide, people will know us by our love. In Christ's name, amen.